Thank you for tuning in to the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to give your customers a better, more personalized buying experience, how you can create peace of mind for your customers in their purchase, and how you and your organization can create a new stream of revenue. Visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. While you're there, make sure you check out the blog where there's some great information about managing the sales funnel online, uh, using data more wisely, um, the trends that are impacting your consumers and your customers' buying habits. Um, there's a great ebook that's a partnership between me, Booking Protect, and the folks at Future Ticks on delivering digital customer service. A great resource. All that is at www.bookingprotect.com. My guest today is Colby Fackler. And Colby is with the Major League Soccer team in Vancouver, the Whitecaps. And if I must say so myself, I thought that this fantastic this conversation was fantastic. It was a fantastic conversation as I stumbled over the words. It was great. We got to a lot, but I have a feeling that we could have gone on for another hour. Um, Colby was really, really generous and gracious by being really, really, really specific about a lot. Um, the joke was is like maybe he's too transparent, but I don't think so. I think that he gave us maybe one of the most like nitty gritty meat and bones podcasts that I've ever done here. Um, we talked about um, a lot. I mean, my lord. Um, we talked. We covered the difference in being a sports business professional in the United States versus Canada. We talked about how um, having a smaller population to draw from has influenced the way that the Whitecaps develop a sales, and marketing, and service team. Uh, we talked about some of the attributes that Colby and his staff hire for. Um, we talked about the difference between corporate partnerships and selling single tickets. We talked about um, not getting bogged down in the idea of selling a ticket and focusing on selling experiences. We talked about the value proposition. We talked about creating urgency. We talked about uncovering the hidden reasons for people to buy tickets. We talked about uh, tangible versus intangible value. We talked about um, what clients remember, what they don't remember, what they value, what they don't value. We talked about the approach and the way that Colby and their sales academy and his sales team uh, create retention strategy for their staff and how they're able to achieve a uh, when they bring in a class how do I want to put this they keep 70% of the people that come through their sales academy for four years I'm going to repeat that number because it's incredible they keep 70% of their new hires in their sales academy for four years he talks he tells us how he does that right we talk about how he sets expectations for his team how they grow how they understand what they need to do to be successful. Um, this thing that he talks about breaking it down to the ridiculous late in the podcast is uh, just fantastic. Um, we talk about the roadmap. We talk about um, 
how they innovate and how they lead generate and how they use technology and um, we got a little bit into change and change was one of the things we really wanted to talk about so i mean it was just a lot but it was really great and if colby hadn't had to go to another meeting i think we would have gone on for like quite a bit longer um but this was a really i mean this might be the best one that i've done i think uh this one i really 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 uh was happy with the way it came out so i'm really excited to hear what you thought and get your feedback um about this episode of the business of fun I want to welcome my buddy Colby Fackler from the Vancouver Whitecaps to the Business of Fun podcast. Colby, what's happening, man? I'm good, Dave. I'm good. How are you? Oh, man, I'm good. I'm very, very good. I'm excited to have you on here. Uh, my my deep dive into sports business continues uh, with somebody from Canada, which is you know, international enough, right? Um, yeah. Because everybody seems to like, to like it when I bring people on from outside the States. Uh, so Vancouver, just across the border, but it still counts. <laughs> Yeah, we're like the we're like the strange neighbor that lives in you guys' attic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I tell everybody that I, you know, Vancouver's maybe the most beautiful city I've ever been to. So I'm sort of jealous, to, you know, because I was hoping that there would be like a picturesque backdrop behind you, but you got just a conference room wall yeah. behind you. But that's okay. Nobody can see it anyway. It's a podcast. <laughs> um, but thank you for doing this. And I wanted to jump into a couple of topics because I know that um, you guys have a really cool sales academy and you have a really good team building approach. Um, you focus a lot on training. You focus a lot on developing your sales agents. And you I think you do a really great job. So I wanted to maybe highlight some of those ideas, some of the concepts, some of the things you, you guys do um, in hopes that it will maybe – be able to transfer to other people. Um, and, and you've been really gracious about talking about this. Uh, let's start out by talking about the, the academy that you guys have built. Um, you know, what's the goal there and kind of how have you developed it over the years? Yeah, no, it's, um, it, it really was bred out of necessity, to be quite honest. I mean, and you know what, to be quite fair, one of the biggest differences between uh, US and Canada, especially in the sports world, in the U.S., I know, hey, people are, are moving all over the place. And obviously, the, the breadth of sales people and talent is broad and wide. And people aren't afraid for moving to, well, even like yourself, Washington to D.C., you know, Washington, D.C. to New York and over to L.A. or wherever, wherever everybody's willing to move. But in uh, Canada here, it's, it's very centralized. A, we only have, uh, I think at last count, we had like 26 sort of major sports teams in the entire country. So you can appreciate it's uh, the, the talent pool is a little smaller when it comes to experienced uh, ticket sales or partnerships or any of the salespeople. So we started looking around and, and went, all right, we, uh, we can either keep beating the bushes and try to find people or we can start to uh, build them up. And so uh, that, that's essentially what we started doing was uh, really – uh, developing this sales and service academy where we could find those young up and coming, you know, have the right attitude, have the right, uh, have the right thought process, have the, have all those things and start teaching them sort of the, the white caps way, as we like to call it. And you, you said something interesting there about the thought process, right? Which I think that as much as anything selling is about the way that you approach it. And it's a, it's a thought process, right? I mean, let, let me yeah. not like belabor this. What is the right thought process for a successful salesperson? Or when you're hiring somebody, what does that thought process look like that you're hiring for? 
Yeah. And you know, it, that's, I don't think we've still got it totally refined, but some of the key things that we're looking for is curiosity, like somebody who's just sort of naturally curious. Um, and that mixed with somebody who's got like grit, right? Just the resilience. Cause as we all know, as you know, if you're, whether you're out and about, Hey, everybody loves sports until they got to buy tickets or seasons or, or partnerships or whatever else. And then all of a sudden, maybe it's not quite the right thing for me at this point. So it's, uh, so you need that person to be able to like, who just wants to learn about the other, whether whoever the client prospect fan, whoever it might be, you want them ever curious about their business, about their life to be able to ask those questions and do those things. Um, and not just because they've got a script of, questions in front of them. Hey, you need to answer or ask 15 open-ended questions, but because they actually want to find out about this stuff. So having that side and then just being able to deal with the rejection and deal with the, you know, to, Hey, that was a good call. That person's not going to buy today, but they might tomorrow, but I had a good connection with that person. So I'll leave it at that. And they're walking away saying, Hey, you know what? That, that white caps guy or girl was, uh, was really awesome. And now I've got, now I've got a person in the organization for if, and when maybe I buy some tickets later on. So that's the kind of, th those two fundamental things are, are, uh, what we're searching for within our, uh, within the candidates that we bring in. Yeah. The, the curiosity thing I think is a really, really great point. And, uh, and I want to make sure that I highlight this too, because it, I try to, whenever I do a sales training and granted, I don't do them that often right but i do do them you know a couple times a year the biggest key that i try to teach people is about the, that curiosity thing right because i and this is the way i explained it and maybe i'm either onto something or way way off base and you tell me i you know I, i'm wrong all the time so it's totally great uh but is that if you're curious and if you're paying attention to talking to a, a prospect or a customer about what's going on in their business you should be able to draw connections and by drawing those connections you you should have drawn connections from a wide variety of sources and people. That makes you a trusted advisor. And if you're a trusted advisor, you're not selling them a set of tickets, right? I mean, sometimes you are, but like a lot, like what we're talking about here, I think, is we're talking about the more complex sale. Is if you're a trusted advisor, you're not really selling a specific product or a specific set of advertising or a box or anything. You're selling a solution to a problem. And if you're selling a solution to a problem, then you're in a position of strength. Am I wrong or am I like completely, or is that no, what you, you see? Yeah. And that's a hundred percent like long gone are the days of what anyone of just saying, Hey, here's your tickets. Go, go buy them. You know, like those, those aren't, those, that's not what people are looking for. Like, it's funny. One of our big things here is we, we don't, uh, we don't sell tickets. We don't even sell soccer here necessarily. We're trying to sell the experience, right? And so that's that's how we've tried to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace. Soccer, for you know, for those of you unfamiliar with MLS, MLS in in North America is it is very different than any of the other sort of the hockey, the the basketball, the everything else. It's it's really fan led, supporter culture. You know, there's just a bunch of differentiators in there. And for us in the marketplace, that's what we're trying to sell. So it's really, you can't, you can't sell an experience to somebody unless exactly as you said, unless you're that advisor and you're like trying to figure out what kind of experience they want because everybody wants something a little bit different. 
Right. Yeah. And and the idea of the culture and the atmosphere is, I think, maybe people don't pay it enough attention because I think it should translate to basketball and hockey and baseball and football. But MLS, if they do one thing better than everybody else, it's that, that fan-led culture. Like I was at the DC United game um, the other day and the supporter section, I mean, it really sets a tone for the building. Yeah. It's awesome. It, it's great. I didn't, I was always poo-pooing it, right? But I yeah. go, and I love it. I mean, I, I love soccer just to begin with, right? Everybody who knows me knows that I'm a big Tottenham's fan, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I love it. But I go to D.C. United matches pretty regularly now because of that atmosphere. It's, it's fun to take my son. It's fun to take my family. Um, you know, the atmosphere, it's like, you know, you do feel something. It's great. And you said to turn it back to the conversation though about not selling tickets but selling experiences now i'm sure that translates into your value proposition and how so how do you teach your team to talk about value when it relates to the experience yeah so that that part that's probably one of the hardest parts is because the the first thing you got to do is find out what kind of experience they want because um uh, I'll tell one of my favorite stories, and I tell this little. I tell this story literally to every single one of our new reps uh, uh, as part of this academy. My the one session I sort of still still keep my fingers on is is uh, it's an hour sit down with every you know on the first first couple days uh, with the reps, and so I this is sort of the key fundamental thing and part of selling the experience. When I first took over tickets here, it was uh, you know I. Fair point. I'd never sold tickets before. I'd been in the, on the corporate partnership side with the Canucks and, and Comcast Spectacore and all those guys. So um, never sold season tickets previously. So one of the big things was uh, took over ticketing. Okay, need to. I just want to find out why people are buying. So got my guys to just pull me a, a random list of a whole bunch of our, our current season ticket members, phoned them up. So we got this guy, Bill. Bill was um, been a, a member with us for like three years, uh, had attended his great attendance rate, everything else. So just, okay, two tickets and just sort of our standard sort of average corner corner seats. One of Bill said, hey, Bill, Colby, just trying to understand, you know, thanks for being a member. What, how's your, you know, how's your experience being? Just trying to dig in deep a little bit here and just sort of see why, why you bought tickets and that. He's like, oh, sure. Uh, so big soccer fan? Nope, not at all. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, you got a favorite player on the Whitecaps? No, no. I probably couldn't name three players. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so, so I'm like, oh, okay. Let's go down the let's go down the uh, corporate path. Oh, so you, you probably use these for work? No, no. Oh, okay. So, so uh, you give your tickets away, family or something? No, no. I go to every game. I'm like, okay. So again, asking the questions. I'm going through, and I'm like, I'm like, okay. So, so you go to every game, yeah? Okay. And so, who do you bring? Oh, I bring my daughter. Oh, okay. So she's a huge fan? No, not really. I'm like, so honestly, this went like <laughs> five minutes. I'm like hitting brick wall after brick wall. So finally, I was just like, Bill, listen, I really appreciate you being a season ticket member, but like. Uh, why? Like, why are you a season ticket member, man? I have no idea. And he said, I'm a 45 year old man with a 14 year old daughter. He's like, you know what a 45 year old man has in common with a 14 year old girl? He's like 
nothing. She talks in a language, if she even talks, when she's on her, when she's not on her phone, she's using LOLs and, and smiley faces and some, the music she listens to is garbage. Like I, this, the way she dresses, I can't deal with. He's like, but I took her to a Whitecaps game. We had a really good time. And so all of a sudden that became our thing. And so now I get 18, sometimes 19 games a year where I get her for three, four hours because we usually do dinner or lunch or whatever before or after the game. And he's like, I got maybe four years before she's moving out, going to college, doing whatever her thing is. He's like, man, you could charge me like $3,000 a game. I wouldn't care because this is time I can't get back. And I was just like, at the time I was a brand new dad. I was like, Hey, yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. Sort of ended the call. Really appreciate it hung up the phone and it just hit me hard. It was like, there's an experience for Bill in this case that like on paper, he's the worst lead of all time, right? Like doesn't like soccer, doesn't like anything. So it was, but the experience that the Whitecaps provided him and his daughter are those memories that you can't sell. You can't like, those are, those are invaluable. So trying to find a value proposition like that. Now Bill's a bit of an extreme example, I guess, but but that's it like that. That's a huge, huge thing for him. And now we don't charge him $3,000 a game, but like, he's like, yeah, that, that I can't, I couldn't do that better. So it's uh that that's the kind of thing that we're trying to get them to search for. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I think that the extreme example probably is better because it, it shows you that you sometimes have to really, really search for what the what the answer is, right? Mm-hmm. And that the answer is not always obvious because yeah. one of you know one of my core ideas that I try to preach all the time is that you aren't your market. So like, you know, you you are you and me, we we, we like sports, right? Yeah. So the thing is, is like we're looking at Bill just like you were when you were talking to him and going, "Hey, I don't understand," right? Yeah. But then the thing is, it's like as soon as you got to the answer, it was obvious. And yeah. so like from that obvious answer that you spent. 15, 20 minutes, you know, however long it was digging for, you could make a whole lot of decisions based on that one decision, based on that one piece of information that he gave you. And, and I think that when I teach value proposition and when I talk about value proposition, that's like, that's, that, that story is one that I, that I, I'm often searching for because I, I like to tell the story of when I was selling tickets in New York, right? And this guy would call me up uh, and I don't remember his name now. Um, he was telling me, oh, I need, I have uh, $200 to spend on Yankees tickets to take a huge prospect. Yeah, yeah. To, um, and at the time I was on the secondary market. Um, so, you know, just for clarity's sake, um, but the guy, and I was like, well, I started talking to him. I was like, well, you know, what are you trying to do? Oh, is this like new business? Is this is like a new uh, old client. Oh, he's like, oh my God, this is like a huge client, like a huge prospect. It's like, it's going to be a huge deal. It's going to be whatever. And I was like, well, well, a hundred bucks is for like Yankees and Red Sox. is going to get you like, you know, this is like early 2000s. So like hot, baseball is hot. Yankees, Red Sox. Yeah. Um, get you like in the outfield, right? Like in like a really bad seat, but for like 200 bucks a ticket, I can get you behind the dugouts. Right. And like, and understanding that he was trying to win business and he was understanding, understanding 
how valuable the prospect was to him. The difference of $100 a ticket, it wasn't like the cost because I think sometimes too, and this is an, another question, um, when we're talking about objections and cost and value, um, a lot of times the price objection is a throwaway, at least in my experience. It is because, and it comes out because you don't, you haven't hit that nail on the head with like Bill, where, where it's the time with his daughter, or like I did with the person who was um, looking to really like win a multi-million dollar contract, right? Hundred yeah. bucks to win a multi-million is a bargain. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah hundred, two hundred bucks and some beers is like a freaking value for for that. Um, you know, so how do you teach that value thing? You know that we were, have been talking about here. You know, and how do you frame it in the idea of overcoming objections? And then also, like the thing is, I guess the other part of it is like creating urgency. Because that the, the seem to me all three of these things go hand in hand. Yeah, hundred percent. And that that's the urgency piece here is is um, I mean we that's a whole other conversation is you know urgency and scarcity uh, you know in, in the old ticket days are 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 gone because like you said the secondary market all of the different things so so it, it we put way more value on just on the value side. And just trying to find it because like there's no more sellouts, right? Like there's no more like now it's sort of like even the best seats in the house. You, you can if you want to open up the wallet enough, you can get the best seats in the house. So trying to find that value um, within the value proposition or, or explain it through our corporate guys. It's easy because it, it is it's you know, we actually uh, my premium guys, Tom, he, he does one of the best jobs I've heard. He's just like talking about, especially if he knows he's talking to a corporate client, exactly like you just said, Hey, what's your best customer worth to you as a business? You know, and, and it doesn't matter whether he's the, the local plumber or the, or the multi-million dollar, you know, CEO of the, of the tech startup here. It's, it, you know, everybody's value of their best customer is, you know, 10% of their overall net worth, you know, of, of, of the company. And so he just says, okay, so you're talking, even, even Bill the plumber is, is like, hey, that guy's, that guy's, that contract can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay, so like a suite in that case, now we're, we're talking about like two grand, like <laughs> do the math, you think, and you can have the opportunity to bring in 13 of those guys who get turned, you know, so the value the, from a pure ROI standpoint, the corporate guys are almost easier yeah. just because you know you 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 can you can use just the metrics right you can use proper return on investment you can use sort of like the hard numbers in it um the hardest ones is, is trying to provide the value with the with, with the the sports fan the soccer fan whoever it might be um and that's where that's why we concentrate on the experience side because with the experience then once you can figure out what kind of experience they want, then you can start crafting. And, and again, it, it goes right back to if you give it to them straight as you become that trusted advisor, you, you, you know, you become trustworthy and then they start going, okay, you know what? Yeah. I like your guy. I only expected to maybe spend a hundred bucks uh, a ticket, but you know what? Yeah. It's worth it's worth doing 200 bucks to get now because I actually trust you and you sound, this makes sense to me. Yeah. So yeah, the experience, you know, 
if you want to take your kids to a to a match and and you know you're you're just looking to create those memories hey great okay I, we can do that but if you want to go and sit down by the field because this is your kid's 15th birthday and you know he he's about to you know move away to college soon and you're you're trying to create that okay hey that's a very different conversation or you know the corporate side the, the everything else it, it's uh yeah, there's a whole bunch of different experiences and it's just trying to find what kind of experience you're trying to trying to do. Yeah. And what's interesting is you you, you didn't label it this. So, so I'll label it this. But you're, we were talking about value and you're taught you're really drawing the difference between tangible and intangible value. And they both are really, really powerful. And one thing I want to ask you about, because and I, again, this is like for bears from my own experiences, like. All too often when I'm talking to people who are selling partnerships or like in the businesses and everything else, they think that the only kind of ROI that they really can show is tangible, right? They think the only reason that they're making that decision is tangible, right? Which is fine. It's like, it's totally great because you can really show it pretty easily, right? But I think people sometimes miss, um, how do I want to say it? They don't give enough credit to the intangible value that you can show a corporate buyer. Um, and how do you um, how do you deal with that? And like how do, how what are some of the things that your team does pretty well to highlight that as well? Because I often say that the corporate buyer is more emotional than the regular you know like just average ticket consumer because they're their tails on the line. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, people are more scared of the uh, of the boss coming down and cracking cracking the whip on the old budget budget line item for social spend uh, than they are on on the old family family finance sometimes for sure. Um, I think one of the uh, again I'm going to keep going back to Tom. He's he's one of our Tom Dunn. He's one of our best guys here. He, he's he's really changed our premium sales side, and so he he actually I. I just heard him say this the other day. It was clients, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to butcher this a little bit, try to remember properly here, but it's basically like clients don't remember what they made you feel or what they, what you did for them. They don't remember what you did for them, but they remember how they, how you made them feel. Right. And so it, it's not necessarily, you know, it, it's the low cost, high value gifts, right? He, it's about, Bringing the bottle of wine to a birthday to a birthday party or a, or a you know a housewarming or whatever the case is, bottle of wine you know a good bottle a half decent bottle of wine whatever your fifteen dollars shiraz right you can bring that but you bring another fifteen dollar gift that's not very good it's a it's that low cost but a bottle of wine has a high value in the social scene so same thing maybe you're only spending a couple hundred bucks on a on a ticket. And, but you're giving them that experience that they go, oh yeah, this, this is, uh, it, you know, Dave was, Dave was really good. They, like I just had a good time hanging out with Dave and you know what? I think I'm going to give him that business, you know, that contract that whatever the case might be, you know, it, it is, it's the, the intangible piece is, is that feeling just the, how you make them, how you make them feel. We have that discussion around here all the time on like, parking passes, right? Like parking for our stadium is tough. Like it is for a bunch of stadiums around all over the place. But it's like, if you can just slide a, a client, a, you know, $10 parking pass, 
all of a sudden they go, oh man, thank you. It, it's not worth the 10 bucks. You've just gotten $100, $500, $10,000 of good feeling for a $10 parking pass, right? Whatever the case might be. Well, that's like um, I have my friend Gary Adler, who's the executive director of the NATB, the National Association of Ticket Brokers, that calls this <laughs> phenomenon of like never like doing something like you just said about giving the parking pass away, jumping over dollars to get to dimes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and i like it um because it makes it it completely is true and then the other thing you said about like people you know hiring me just because i make them feel good or they have a good time and they feel comfortable that a happens to me all the time but b i think that we shouldn't underestimate that because the thing is is like so many of the ideas and so many of the problems and challenges or um situations that people are dealing with are so stressful that having somebody who is a um, you know a trusted advisor who can you know understand the situation have empathy um, you know can you know offer a point of view or an idea about something or can just make like you know make things go a little bit easier or a little bit better it's extremely valuable right and and so I I, I really hope people don't paper over that because I, I, one of the things I fear sometimes with especially like sports selling is it becomes too much of a transaction and not of enough of a relationship. And the relationship thing is where the magic really happens because you know, you can't, none of our markets are big enough that we can turn and burn our, our people that fast. Right. Right. I mean, we need relationships with these things. And that's like one of the things that's really, I think great about what you guys are up to is that you have, and you describe it as like an NCAA approach where you're going to have your people at least for four years. And I think four years, and especially when you combine it with the idea that you brought up at the beginning about people, uh, Canada being a, having a small talent pool, as far as sellers going, um, four years, you can develop a pretty substantial relationship and likely in most cases, those people, the kids that you're bringing into the academy and growing, they're going to be able to take their experience with the white caps and they're going to be able to take it out into the community. And I, even though maybe you don't benefit directly, the indirect benefit is great because they know that like if I have a account executive that's dealing with me, they're going to be here for a couple of years. I'm going to deal with them. And then if I do transition, the person after them is going to be there for a couple of years and they're going to have the same level of service and they're going to have a, a focus on um, relationship building and it's never going to be transactional. And I, and I think that's like really, really um, key. So when you talk about this NCAA approach, you know, uh, what do you do to sustain that? How do you encourage that? Like, you know, how does that take hold in the organization? Because I know that four years um, for most sports organizations in the state, that's you might get the gold watch. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. like most of the time it's like a year or two, um, if not less in a lot of places. And, and, and I, I – not just disruptive to the organization. It's just, to me, it's unhealthy. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, so we, that came down through a whole bunch of just, I unleashed my business intelligence guys and data and just tried to say, okay, what, where does it look, where does it look like? And so that, um, what we found was our, at three year mark, our is sort of the, the, that's the peak not that they decline after three years, but at three years, that's where they become like mold, a, a, a good salesperson hits sort of that eight, sometimes 10 X what they're bringing in. Right. Like they, that first year and we, we crunched it right down to the, to the numbers. So 
you know, our first year guy in our marketplace with our, with our ticket prices and everything else, they're generally bringing in about a hundred grand in revenue, ticket revenue. Uh, and if they do that, perfect. Year two is just over 200. Uh, and year three, they're like four, five, six, that that's where it sort of, it, it's clicked. And a hundred percent, like you said, it's generally because of the relationships. They've got a good book of business. They've, they are getting the referrals. They've, they've, they've got their sort of their, their sales personality down. They've, they've got all of those things working for them. Um, and then year four, you know, they're riding that out and they're having a making, making good money and they're, they're all the things are right. But unfortunately, like any, this isn't just sports, but like anything, you know, the opportunities to advance are, are just not always there. Some, Hey, yeah, absolutely. We have manager opportunities. We have, you know, uh, the opportunities to, to have them go into different locations, you know, wherever it might be, whether it's within the organization or, you know, move over to partnerships or whatever the case might be. But at a certain point they kind of go, okay, what's next? Right. And so that's, that's where the four years came from. Um, and that's, but that's really that's, well thought out. That's like, you, you know, you went through and you used the data that you have available in like a really informed manner to figure out where that was. So it's not like, and and if you don't have, if you a if you don't want to answer the question or b if you don't know the answer it's totally fine and I won't I won't be upset now I know my audience won't be upset yeah. but what kind of like turnover rate do you have in the first year like how many people you know t- maybe typically come in and how many people stay with you to make it through the whole process you know and how like what what do they drop out at like along the way yeah so we've got we've got a seventy percent hit rate on the four years um, so seventy percent of the people make it through all four years if they yeah. That's, now, and that's where unbelievable. We're at. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where we're at now. Yeah. Like started, and and that's sort of refining this process over the last over the last eight years now, basically, just because it's um and it's the recruiting from at the front end has made the the biggest difference, and then ultimately it it's um because the two things we promise, and you sort of alluded to it earlier, the two things we promise when we bring them in is it's meritocracy. So you don't, you can, and we've, we've built in these levels intentionally. So you, you know, come in as a account specialist. So that's sort of our version of the inside sales uh, person, um, account specialist. But as soon as you hit hundred, a hundred thousand in revenue, you're switching over to uh, account executive. Uh, and then, and then we have a senior account executive after that. And so the path forward, forward is really clear. It's really yeah. spelled out. So like somebody goes, I know exactly what it takes to get me to the next level. hundred percent. So if, if that, if that we had somebody, it's never happened. I'd love it to, but if somebody comes in in that first year and cranks through and does 400 grand in, in uh, revenue, guess what? They're a senior account executive right away. They get to jump, jump two levels essentially. Now it, that's few and far in between and it doesn't really happen, but at least when they're sitting down, they know, okay, now I have that. Now I see, I see the roadmap to what I can do. And the other thing is we just say, Hey, listen, like we want, we want open dialogue with our, you know, which we ask for a lot of trust up front, um, which is why we try to try to be transparent with, with our, the recruits who are coming in to say, listen, if this isn't for you, I'd rather know in the first three months because those first three months, if you're coming in and you're just like, I, I don't want to come in and pick up the phone. I don't want to like, I love soccer, but 
sales just isn't for me, hey, that's fine. Like that that happens, man. Like this is your opportunity to say that uh, and realize that now because then it it's better for you and it's better for us and we'll help you move out into a different role or you know whether it's within the organization or or not. But that that happens. So it's we ask for that trust ahead of time so that we can um, so that we can get to the heart of it because I've had two of my best service people here. We're both both came in under the under the sales stream, and when I love it here, I'm really good at this side of the of the equation, building the relationships, doing all these things. But like, I don't know if I really like the sales side. And we went, you know what? Let's let's switch you over to the service side. And honestly, they're two of my best best service reps over here, and and because they are really strong with the relationships and doing those things. So it's it's really trying to take all of that information and then just feeding the right people and the right thing and, and making sure that they're, uh, that they're doing it, but getting it, getting it right at the front front end is, is the hardest part for sure. Yeah. And you, you said something and this brings me back to a conversation that I had a few years back with um, Ryan McCoy, who was with the Marlins at the time. And we talked about um, motivating your sales team. Right. And one of the thing, or there's a couple things here that I think really highlight motivation in the positive manner which is the first thing is like you've you're trying to be open and build trust right and i think that's helpful because everybody throws around the idea of like oh millennials this or gen, gen z yeah. that right and i usually um i frankly think those kind of mass generalizations are a little bit stupid to be completely blunt right because yeah. if i take any population i can draw some random conclusions and make up a bunch of garbage if i want to i mean i, do. I mean you know i've I've got data at my hands, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, but the other thing that I think really is great is having a clear roadmap, right? So it's not like random, what, you know, how you're going to get forward. Like, so I know that like if I get to two hundred, if I make a hundred thousand dollars in sales, I'm going to get moved up to the next position. So it's clear what I have to do. So then I can say, well, am I judge? Am I meeting my expectations, exceeding my expectations, or not meeting my expectations? Pretty clearly. And the choice is up to me whether, you know, it's not like, well, Colby hates me. No, it's like I'm not making the sales that are going to get me to this next level. So then it's on me to go back and say, how can I improve? Or like you said, maybe sales isn't for me, right? And and, and I really love it because I feel like this is just a better way to build a sales organization, right? It's like clarity and um consistency and like clear goals and objectives because I mean, I coach my nine-year-old soccer team and we set clear goals for the kids. Right. And the kids respond to that. Right. You know, and they're not like, they're not really tough. They're not really tough. Right. Because they're nine-year-olds, but you know, it's like pay attention, right? Like if your head's not in the game, like how, how often can you be, you know, or, hustle the whole time and you can tell if you're not hustling or not right you're not you're not you know if you're, you're playing yeah, hard, right yeah. you know it's the same thing with like a sales team right you know if you're on course to get a hundred thousand dollars in the season not on course to get a hundred thousand dollars you know whatever else so i guess i already answered my own question but i want to hear it from you is like this helps with the motivation right this helps you with like the culture this helps you with all those th- those positive um kind of attributes that you're looking for right or am i oh. wrong and and the the to exactly to that point, um, uh, Hugh and Christine, who are, are are sales managers here, the two of them, um, Hugh Hugh says it best. He's he sits down or or she sits down, depending on which which team it's on, 
uh, and they they break it down to the ridiculous uh, is is what we call it. So we essentially each they sit down and build out a, a business plan, if you will, for each one of the reps, so that they can sit, so that they can hit that whether it's the hundred, the two hundred, the four hundred, whatever. And and that's where you know the data and and the personalities start really coming out. So we'll look at like, hey, your close rate over email is you know whatever it's 10% right now. So, and your average sale is only 200 bucks. So like, let's start breaking this down. That means you need to send out, you know, 300 emails a day at your average to hit that. But your face to face meetings are closing at 20%. So how do you balance these things out? And like, so they literally will map out the next three months of Okay, here's here's how you can get to hit that number to make sure that that you're you're getting there and that if that's your goal to hit that 400 and become the senior account exec, all right. Here here's the ridiculous the ridiculous amount of detail that you need to get to down to the day, down to the hour, down to whatever the case is. And not make it robotic, but like understanding what it takes to get there. So it's not just this nebulous number floating around out there. It's like here's here's what it looks like. Yeah, but again, that's awesome because most of the time, and I'm sure I don't know, maybe maybe you have it, but I have. I've been in these sales or like these places, and then when I was in sales roles, where it's like going, you just get the random. Like I would have, you know, my goal would be two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollars of sales in, in a year, right? Um, yeah. You know, at, at like this place, and there would be no roadmap. There would be nothing there, and and really, it would even be worse. It would be like going, all the good accounts are like, and and this is where you fall into the thing where like, what's a good account, what's a bad account, and like you know, if you do the process right. Yeah. In this case, though, I think my track record says that if I say it was like I wasn't set up for success, I think I can say that safely, and people won't go, "Well, you were just awful," and yeah. I might have been awful, so that that could be true. But if all the accounts are signed out, and like you're really just calling on like nickel and you know like small like nickel and dime accounts, and you have a huge goal, it's maybe even unrealistic that they're, you're not being put in the position to succeed. So like when you're talking about let's set you up so you know what four hundred thousand dollars in sales is going to look like. I think it's really great because like a lot of times you just don't know, you need a little help on what the road looks like to get there. And I think that's fantastic. Um, and the other thing I, I really wanted to touch on, but I want to be conscious of your time here was oh. you, you talked about selling via email. And I know that I've had a number of sales agents in the States call, email me, email, email uh, and <laughs> or they called me or like, you know, sent me messages and stuff and talked about how like their sales culture and their organization, um, doesn't allow, really like doesn't look as using email as like really selling, and you yeah you just talked about it and I was like well, I, I think email is great right if I, if I yeah. get a, if I get a response right um, I think it's awesome um, and that's like especially if you're selling tickets like we are especially like individual tickets or like small packages and stuff it can be like a much more um, time effective way what are you know how how and I, maybe just like in a big overview way. Talk about like the role of lead generation and how, you know, the, a couple of the different ways that you do create leads because I know like email or social media or phone calls, those, you know, those are all like big kind of barrels. Um, and then like sometimes like marketing, especially in sports, a lot of places doesn't get the proper positioning as a lead generation tool. Um, so when you talk, talk about email, it brought me back to thinking about lead generation. Yeah. And I mean, we spend... 
you know, I spend a ridiculous amount of time on this on, uh, for both the good and the bad. And um, this, this is probably the part where technology has changed for us anyways, in our organization, the most over the last five years. Um, because by the time, and, and again, this is one of the sayings we have around here, and it was just sort of back as we were chatting previously about change. It's sort of one of my Colbyisms that I, I I use ad nauseum. If you ask, probably my staff is we're a lab, not a factory, right? Like let's try stuff. Like and it's sort of trying to let let's try it. We sell soccer here. Nobody's gonna die if this lead you know strategy doesn't work. Like it just means maybe some less sales. So we'll figure it out. So um, right now, look, by the time the leads get into the sales team's hands, that aren't that that aren't personally generated from them just being out out and about at at events and, and uh, different things. Um, by the time the leads come in from our marketing department or our, our community department out there, they've already been to a certain extent um, qualified. Uh, and and we do that. You things like so we're Salesforce CRM with Core. So um, you know we have things like the marketing journeys that. As soon as a lead comes in, whether it's just a random contest or a, you know, or, or the, the, the CAPS Cruiser, which is our community vehicle that's out on the street, um, and even our single match buyers, as they're coming in, they're, they're, being, they're self-qualifying to a certain extent. So, hey, how many games have they been to? How many um, have they, you know, are, are they already a season ticket member? We've got to, you know, uh, scrub for that. All, all of those different things. And then it's how was your experience of the last game, right? How all of these all of these little touch points that they that they get. So when the sales team gets them, they go, oh, okay, this person's already been to three games this season. Okay, I, I've got a good sense he or she is looking for. You know, it, it just helps the conversation already. And so we we've got the lead scoring and all of these different things. But honestly, it changes. Every probably every three weeks, just as we keep refining and A/B testing and all all the fun stuff that the business intelligence guys like to talk about. No, that's that's awesome because, and I think it's that's probably number one. I think with the kind of like constant innovation of your uh, lead generation strategy, that's a great yeah. point to leave on. And also, we really didn't touch on change nearly enough. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that was like one of the things we wanted to talk about. Um, but how can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm. Uh, uh, where am I now these days? Uh, LinkedIn, Colby <laughs> Factor. So it's uh, uh, yeah, C O L B Y F as in Frank A C K L E R. Uh, so LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is is primarily work stuff, which is which is good. Uh, and uh, the other, all the other socials are um, are on uh, sort of more the personal side. So I, I leave the work side of that. But um, and then yeah, fit, like I love talking ticketing. I, I obviously read read your stuff all the time. And and uh, so anybody wants to geek out on on ticket strategy and sales strategy and all that stuff, by all means, it's uh, cfackler at whitecapsfc.com. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll, and I'll put a link. I'll, I'll try to link to everything in the show notes. Um, but I want to thank you for doing this. I think this was a. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I think we probably could have gone on for like much much longer. Yeah, um, but we'll save that for a second time. You know, because like, nice. this nice. is like the nice thing about the, the podcast. It's not like I'm. Uh, what you call it, Mark Marin? Where I'm giving you the Mark Marin treatment. I am giving yeah, you yeah. the treatment, but you can come back. It's like totally cool. So yeah. uh, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, Dave. No, really appreciate it. Once again, I want to thank Colby Fackler from the Vancouver Whitecaps for taking the time to talk to me on the Business Fun Podcast. I'm really curious about what you think and what you learned from this podcast. Uh, Again, I could be wrong. I could be biased. I thought that this was maybe one of the best podcasts that I've done. Um, Give me your feedback on this episode or any of them by sending me an email. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. You can also visit my website. That's www.DaveWakeman.com, where you can find my blog. Uh, You'll be able to find soon a calendar and a store that's going to tell you um, all kinds of interesting stuff that I'm up to. Um, It's going to give you some uh, new ways to engage with me. It's going to be great, um, including let me tease something that's coming up. There's going to be a special announcement next week, I believe, about a certain someone that you are listening to in your ear holes right now going to a certain place that I've never been before that is a long flight from D.C., um, 24 hours or so to be exact. Um, And it's really going to be an exciting thing. Um, I don't want to give the whole thing away because we've got a whole launch (laughs) built around uh, this announcement, but... Make sure you check my website, www.davewakeman.com. I'd also love it. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm at David Wakeman on Twitter. I mention this all the time, and it's kind of a joke on the podcast, but I'm serious. If you know the person who has the at Dave Wakeman uh, Twitter handle, get it for me. The guy has not tweeted since 2014. He doesn't need it. I need it. Um, Connect with me on LinkedIn. I I post updates. I I have a really great um, email prospecting and prospecting group on there that I'd love to have you become a member of a part of. We have some discussions. I share content. It's great. Um, Also, you can check with me and you can um, get my email newsletter. Uh, I haven't done a very good job of promoting that on here, but you should. I do an email newsletter. It comes out on Sundays. It's called The Business of Value. And it focuses on how you can create value, how you can explain value better, uh, just all the tangible and intangible forms of value. Um, you know, and it's kind of a my most intimate thing that I do. Uh, Colby is a member of the newsletter. He gets it each week. And he said the one I wrote last week about marketing being about discomfort and creating discomfort was one that he shared with his entire team, the entire Whitecaps organization. Um, just to give you a little heads up, that's the one that I've had the most reaction from. I've gotten people all over the world emailing me back going, that thing was powerful, and that helped me create change. So if you want to get that, email me, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Put newsletter in the headline, and I will get you signed up. As always, if you dig what I'm doing with the podcast, can you do me a favor? Would you share it with somebody you think would benefit from it? That would be helpful. That would be great. It would help me continue to grow the audience. Also, if you're really into what we're doing, subscribe. I'm on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Um, I think there's like some new ones that are going to come online in the next couple days. Basically, anywhere you can get podcasts, you can get me. So if you dig it, subscribe. That way you don't miss an episode. And if you are so inclined, I would love it if you'd leave a review 
a testimonial or some kind of review about what you've learned, what you thought of the business of fun. Um, you know, rate it, review it, do all that stuff. It helps make sure that people discover the podcast. It helps increase the likelihood of me being able to get great guests like Colby or uh, Kat Spencer from Booking Protect or um, Martin Gameltoff from Activity Stream, Joe Michelle from Australia. You know, all the p- great conversations I've had, um, these things help. It makes me look a little bit more legitimate, a little more real, um, because this podcast has grown exponentially over the first year. Um, and I'm looking to make this thing even better in the second year. Um, so your reviews, you're sharing it with your with your colleagues and your friends, um, subscribing, all of these things, they help make sure that I continue to be able to do some of these really cool things and have these really great conversations. So please do that for me. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect for sponsoring the Business of Fun podcast. They are some of the best people in the ticket industry. If you want to give your customers the world's best refund protection product, you need to visit www.bookingprotect.com and find out how you can work with them. They have a proprietary, award-winning digital customer service platform that's unlike any customer service platform you've probably ever experienced online. Um, It is a key differentiator. They provide the most comprehensive refund protection product of anyone in the world and they do help you get a new revenue stream for your organization which is very very important especially when you have a brand name like the revenue architect so make sure you check them out at www.bookingprotect.com or email me and i'll put you in touch with the right person um i couldn't do this without them uh they're just fantastic partners um and i couldn't do it without you so until i see you again Thank you for listening and take it easy. I'll talk to you later.